Hans and Scotty, 97.5, 1280 The Zone, kicking off your 12 o'clock hour with one of the best in the business, overall good dude. It is David Locke, play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. David, how are you? Hey, David. Do you get to go to Indianapolis? I will be in Indianapolis. That's cool. What a cool experience. Uh, playing in Assembly Hall, too. I've not been there before, so I'm excited. Oh, about that's that cool. How are they doing it? So do you, like, million tasks or what is, or just NCA? We just roll people there, out. We don't care. No. What's, what's the approach? I believe uh, I am not part of the team bubble, and those guys are – right now they're going through the whole NBA bubble where they're, uh, they're being locked in their room for two days and then okay. getting mul- multiple tests a day, having food brought to them, and then if they get past tonight – then they're able to start preparing and uh, and getting ready for the game. Um, I am not part of their bubble, so they're obviously we're not in the same hotel and and won't travel with the team in any way, shape, or form. But uh, and and the broadcast spot is quite a ways away from the actual court. Uh, but you know what? I, I do believe there is a round of testing tomorrow for uh, media, um, or excuse me, not tomorrow, but Thursday. So, uh, but uh, other than that, uh, yeah, fired up, excited to get down there. That'd be cool. And what? Um... So do you know, like, how you get there and what you do and, and things of that nature? Like, is that, um, like, I use all media and broadcasters staying in the same hotel? Like, what are the? No, all the media is, it was kind of a free-for-all uh, because, you know, you're bringing 68 teams to one city, and so hotel rooms are pretty, uh, aren't, aren't very plentiful, and they're super expensive, by the way. Uh, so, but, uh, but there are protocols in place. Oh, it wouldn't be like corporate America to take advantage of something like this. What are you talking about? God bless America, man. Absolutely. So did Utah state schedule your, your hotel? No, or? I had to do it all myself. Where and did you, where did you end I, up finding something? On Carmel? Uh, no, I just, uh, my good friends at Marriott. Oh. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was tough. Uh, but you know, and then the other thing is you're not sure where you're playing. You know, you could be in downtown Indianapolis, you could be in Hinkle Fieldhouse, or you could be in Bloomington, which we're going to be. So then you have to get a rental car because that's an hour and a half away from, from, uh, Indianapolis. Uh, but yet you're still stationed in Indianapolis. So I can understand. I'd say David, honestly, like I was talking to our guys at, uh, Texas tech, uh, some of their broadcast guys, and they're not going, it's probably 50, 50 of teams going and, and broadcasting their games or staying at home and broadcasting it via. You know, the old conference room with the TV monitor. Never heard of anything like it. I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> I'm glad you get to be there. It makes I know. a world of difference in your ability to broadcast a game, so I'm happy for you that you get this experience on important games to get to be there. Cause it, well, I mean, you just can't do the job adequately without being there. Well, I mean, even in the Mountain West Conference Tournament, they had us in a suite. And, and I've been fortunate enough. I've been able to travel to every road game this year, and I have not called a game from a TV, and so I don't know. I, don't, I mean, you know, some of the great ones out there have been able to adapt and have been able to make it sound uh, pretty good. But uh, even in, like, they had uh, individual suites for team broadcasters in the tournament, and, in the Mountain West Conference tournament, and even then it's so far away. Now, I know you've been to some arenas where you're ways away from the court, and even that makes it difficult. Um, but... I can't imagine how difficult it is, honestly, uh, because there's so, the so much. Between, the difference between those two things are, are so dramatic. Like, so oh, yeah. Being far away is hard because you can't get the minute detail, but you can at least choose what you're talking about. Exactly. When you call a game off the monitor as an announcer, you don't actually choose what you're talking about. Yeah. So you actually can't do, like, 
you can't do the art. You can't do the job. Like you can't tell your story. You can only tell the story that's being given, sent to you. Yeah. It's a really dramatically big difference. It's, if you're in the arena, like we had a moment the other night on the radio broadcast that was like my highlight of the year. It was like incredible. It was during the Lakers game and LeBron is like grabbing the iPad from one of the assistant coaches and bringing the players to it and like pointing at the iPad. And he's got like three players huddled. He makes one of them go get their mask on to come over. Cause he had, they were in like the waiting area and he like is pointing at the, and it was incredible to see. And I like wrote it for like 35 seconds on a radio broadcast. Well, if I'm like, if that was only possible, and it was the story of the night, right? Like LeBron's pissed. They're not defending. The jazz are torching them so badly that, that they don't know what's going on to the point where LeBron is grabbing them and showing them plays on an iPad. Like it's the, that was the moment of the night that told the story of what was taking place. And you couldn't, if you're getting it from a TV monitor, the chances are you never see that. Um, and like, I mean, I'll be like, no one cares. I'll stop because this is too inside shot. But like the other night when we were calling it, like I would have gotten dug in. Boyan's having a brutal night, right? Well, part of that story now is, like, how are his teammates dealing with him? How is he reacting? What are the coaches saying to him? Like, the, like as a play-by-play announcer, when he, like, turned it over the third time on the drive and was one of five, like, like that was, to me, like, becoming the story. And I could feel myself wanting to, like, follow Boyan. I call it telescoping into Boyan for a moment in the broadcast where you're walking to the bench with him or you're walking as he checks out of the game. Does he, like, throw a chair? Like, what is what's his – like to me, that was the story. You you couldn't do it. Like you just couldn't do the job because that's not what was being shown. Well, David, Utah Jazz are now I'm pretty. You know, I get it. Like, let me make sure I understand. Like, I get it. I understand why we're here this year. I'm happy to be. I'm happy we're playing. You know, all those kind. Of, like, don't don't. But from a, I described you know Clay Ogden is. Uh, you know Clay, the oh yeah, great BYU golfer. Um, I was talking with him the other day, he coaches my daughter, and I was um, I explained it would be like playing a golf tournament where they handed you the club before the shot, regardless of the shot. Yep. So you're walking up, you're 150 yards out, and they give you a five wood. <laughs> you're like, great, what am I doing with this? You know, 535 par five. Oh, here's a seven iron off the tee. Well, David, the Jazz are now two and four in the last six games. Uh, are you starting to, to question that maybe they have some deficiency, or is this just a mid-season lull? So I didn't. I, um, two questions there. One, I never thought they didn't have deficiency. If we're being quite frank, I think I was clear on that. They were great for a while, but they still had some deficiencies. Um, so I never, you know, I never thought they were going to win ninety-five percent of their games. Um, I do think they're off. A little bit right now, um, particularly defensively, they've put up I think you know four or five of their worst defensive games of the year in this stretch. Um, but it, it is you know, but they had they had lost a lot in a row. The Clippers had until last night I think had lost four out of seven if I or five out of seven. You know the Blazers who are injured had lost six out of ten. I guess the only thing that would be a little disconcerting is kind of in that conversation that we're not injured. Right, we don't have the Anthony Davis excuse or the C.J. McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic excuse, or, or that's causing that's causing us. We just have lost. We just kind of let go of the rope a little bit. But, you know, we've played what 38 games this year. Is that is that about right? Um, our defensive performance against the Warriors was our 36th ranked defensive performance. 
Our defensive performance against Miami was our 35th. Our defensive performance against New Orleans was our 34th. Our defensive performance against Philadelphia was our 32nd. And against the full Clippers was our 31st. So we have had five of our six worst defensive games of the year, or five of yeah, five of our five of our seven worst defensive games of the year in our last eight games. Wow. What do you attribute that to? Just as you mentioned, kind of letting go of the rope a little bit, or is our team scheming the Jazz yeah, differently? I think it's a little bit of letting go of the rope. We're not a great, you know, wing def- there's a few things. All right. So one is we're just, you know, we've talked about it a lot. Teams that have, like tonight, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's really hard for us. We don't have, you know, unless we're going to put Joe in that role a lot, which I think we're trying to avoid doing to keep him fresh for the end of the year. But, you know, we don't have two Royce O'Neals. Um, I do think Royce might have tired out a little bit. Like, I mean, he's had an incredible burden of, guarding the number he's had the highest amount of minutes on the number one usage rate of any player in the NBA like his shooting percentages from 45 to 34 I feel like he might be a little heavier leg than he used to be I mean that's like he's gone from 27 minutes a night to 32 he's starting every night he's playing every almost every minute against an elite elite defensive player I think there should could be a little bit of that taking place um uh we were really fortunate this is you know, David geeked him here for a second, but so above the break three point shooting defense, follow me. Yeah. Is luck. Hmm. It can be a little defense, but it's generally luck. The standard deviation between the, you know, fifth team and the 25th team is like a, is three percentage points. So when you're outside that you're probably maybe doing some things right, but you're also getting a little lucky in the first half of the season. Teams hit 32.6% of their above-the-break threes against us. In the second half, they've hit 35. The league average is actually 36. So, like, 32 was too low. So there's one or two threes that are going in a game against us right now that um, probably was – we were just being – we were just fortunate early in the year. Um, that happens, and the sample size is kind of catching back up to us. Um but it's interesting. I looked at a bunch of things. You know, we've we've had some nights where we've allowed too many shots at the rim, but not excessive. We've been unfortunate on some shooting nights, but not excessive. Um, we're just it's just not as sharp. And then um, the last two nights we've had, uh, I think, eleven live ball turnovers each night. That's really hard to defend against. Um, and our transition defense, our half court defense is great. For the whole season, our transition defense has actually only been okay. David, I'm trying to figure out the level of importance in this game against Boston. You know, where there's some struggles, and this thing is nationally televised on TNT with the TNT crew, and you know, you, you've got a nice matchup with Boston that's got a couple of guys that are uh, notorious of playing hard and, and fighting hard against the Utah Jazz. Do you feel like there's a unique importance placed on this game tonight, being nationally broadcast and, and considering the opponent and the situation the Jazz are in? So those are the situation, just having lost four of six, is probably, it, you know, you'd like, like the Clippers got a really nice win yesterday, and the Lakers did too, and I think that just kind of writes your ship. So we need a right the ship moment here. Um, you know, Rudy Tomjanovich said about the NBA that every team goes through three storms in the season. This is our second storm, I think. Um, we had one really early, and this is our second one. And, and you know, I think it's been fairly well documented that as much as we talk about how well this team got along at times this year, at times last year that was not the case. So 
get you know let's make sure we don't fray and that we don't suddenly have some some of those old things you know perk back up a little bit inside the group and the more you lose the more likelihood that that could happen so let's get out of this skid as fast as possible and just you know, I don't think we have to go back to winning 22 of 24, but if we can go play 60% the rest of the way or 65% the rest of the way, that'd be great. And, you know, it's better than playing 33%, which is what we've done over the last six. But, you know, you grab tonight, and then you, if you beat Washington, which is hard, back-to-back having flown across the country, this is kind of a weird trip. You know, if you can go get the next two, well, then all of a sudden you're 500 over the last eight games, and it's kind of everything mellows out, and, you just kind of, and you're in number one seed, and you just kind of proceed through. So it shouldn't take a lot to switch the – feeling but i asked ron on the broadcast the other night like does this team feel like they're one and one after the break or that they've lost four of six and he said you'll feel like you feel like you've lost four of six yeah david Locke joining us right here on 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network i mean you talk about storms and and i believe you mentioned this earlier I, I'm, I'm just recalling the tweet that you had but you know granted the lakers and the suns and the clippers all won and last night and pretty much by blowout fashion too but overall all three of those teams haven't been playing particularly great basketball. Um, uh, Portland, I think, is another team you mentioned that had struggled as of late. And it just kind of seems like maybe there's a, a bit of a uh, post-All-Star break hangover a little bit for some of these upper echelon teams. Yeah, I mean, just for clarity, I think you include the Suns in there. They don't belong in that group. Oh, no, yeah, you're um, right. I meant, I meant Portland in there. Yeah, uh, they've won, I think, 17 of 20. Um, I just think this is a long season. Like it's a short 72 game season, but I think the dog days are longer because of the amount of games you're playing. And, you know, like when the Lakers announced Anthony Davis was missing two more weeks, that was nine games. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just think actually like little, you don't have a lot of practice time. And I think, you know, fatigue or any of those kind of things probably is going to linger longer or little skids you're on are probably going to last longer this year than other years, just because you don't have quite the same window to get out of them. Um, And actually, I think everyone's tired, so I'm not sure there's as many scheduling advantages as there are. Like sometimes you can get out of a skid in the NBA by getting the home game against the team that played, is playing the road back to back, and you just win and you feel good about yourself. Um, so I think that that's, um, you know, this is such a unique season. Even back to the question that Hans asked a minute ago, I have really tried, Hans, to not. Um, watch games with a huge evaluation on a night in night out basis if that makes sense this year like i'm kind of known for i'll sit around and watch five games and have my five screens going and be making all these observations and i was doing that early in this year and just felt like i was wrong wrong an awful lot like um that there are just i think so many extenuating circumstances on every moment in game whether it's you know, maybe it was the, you know, for all we know, like getting tested three times in a span of those little times with no wake-ups and all the other things that, you know, the weird kind of schedule the Jazz had for that early game yesterday was enough to just make them, I don't know, like we've never had this before. So, they, I mean, they were clearly lifeless, right, in that performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, were they just lifeless because they're lifeless? Were they lifeless because just, you know, everything's out of rhythm and they were on the road. I don't know, but that's, I just feel like you, it's hard to make a, um, you know, it's hard to make um, those kind of decisions day in and day out when you have um, about games, when you have just so many outside extenuating circumstances this year. David, I wanted to ask you, um, is 28 rebounds, would that be akin to a 60-point performance? Is it Would it be hmm. as rare as a 60-point performance or 
But like, how rare is a twenty-eight rebound game like Rudy had the other? Well, night you need a bunch of people to miss shots first, right? So you don't control it entirely yourself, um, which is kind of you know a, the bizarre part of this. Like, um, I don't know, Pam. I mean, twenty-eight's a lot, right? It's a franchise record, and Truck Robinson played for us is one of the all-time rebounding greats in the history of the game. Um, I don't know. Like, how, I, how even, many, I didn't many... even go. Like, I didn't actually even go. Kind of look to see how many players have grabbed twenty-eight rebounds in a game in like the last twenty years. Like in the old days, don't tell Ron I said this, but they used to miss so much that, and the shooting percentages were so bad that you had a ton of huge rebounding games. Right? Like you, like you know, Will Chamberlain can't go get seventy rebounds in um in a game if he didn't get 70 i'm joking if people aren't missing that many shots so if we go back through the last probably what 20 years of good shootings you know take it since 2000 how many times have there been 28 rebounds i don't actually know other than dennis by the way speaking of uh missing shots are you going to fill out a bracket this year um no i mean why for fun, um, come on, have your, give it, your for blanks and answer Kansas question rather than me talk college basketball, which is a waste of time. Uh, in the last twenty years, Rudy is the eighth player, ninth player to have twenty-eight or more rebounds. Jeez, Kevin Love and, and, had thirty-one. Andrew Bynum had thirty in two thousand twelve. Dwight Howard had thirty. Drummond had twenty-nine. Timofey Mozgov at 29. Nikola Vukovic at 29. And then Tyson Chandler had 28. Rudy at 28. And Ben Wallace at 28. In 28 years, you said? No, uh, since 2001. So 20 years. Oh, okay. 20 years. You've got more 60-point performances than that. Certainly, yeah. One every few nights. One every few years, right? So eight over the last 20 years. Um Interestingly, if you get 20 rebounds, you pretty much get 20 points. Only two of those guys have, didn't get 20 points. Three of them, Ben Wallace, Tyson Chandler, and Andrew Bynum. Like, um, Rudy did it with only eight offensive rebounds, which is actually a lower number. Like Most of the guys were chewing up offensive rebounds doing that. Nobody has ever had 28 rebounds and four block shots in a game, though. Oh, I take it back. Ben Wallace had six. Okay, never mind. Never mind. Still pretty incredible. Ben Wallace was pretty good. Yeah, he was. Yeah, people forget how good he was defensively. Yeah. Uh, Is he in the Hall of Fame yet? uh, Nope. And do you think he'll get there? How does a five-time All-NBA guy, six-time All-Defensive League, NBA champ, like four-time defensive player of the year, not make the Hall of Fame? I hey, I'm with you. I agree with you that he should, but I'm asking you: Do you think he will? I don't know. He certainly should. He won two titles. Like he was the greatest defensive player in the world for a while. Yeah. I guess that shows what the NBA thinks about defensive players, huh? I mean, it was a really short period. Would be the only thing that would like, right? Like he was really only great in Detroit, and then when he left to go to Chicago, he was not quite as great. Um. So that might be it. I mean, his career he only had about six years in his career where he averaged over 30 minutes a night, all in Detroit. So maybe that's like your justification of why not, but it seems 
seems like a poor one. David, always a pleasure, my you friend. You know what? The minute they put Mitch Richmond in the Hall of Fame, everybody goes in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Like, All nice right. player. Don't misunderstand yeah. me. Like, great player. Like, six-time All-Star. Five-time All-NBA. Like, but, like, if that's our standard, there's a lot of guys that get to go in now. I'm waiting for Major League Baseball to, to break open the dam on cheaters. That's so stupid. Once you see one cheater go in, you got to open it up to a lot of cheaters. Well, what's so stupid about it is that's what the game was then. Right? Well, it wasn't like there was a cheater. Right? Like, it was a Roger lot of cheaters. Clemens, Barry Bonds, I just Sammy think, you Sosa, know, Mark McGuire, like, open up a wing of the Hall of Fame presented by <laughs> Pfizer and, uh, and, and put them in there. We don't even know if Barry did anything. <laughs> presented by Wasatch Medical Clinic. And put them in. That's, like, a different, that's a different condition. Oh, is it's that, not yeah, that yeah, different than that makes it's just baseball. Not, never mind. <laughs> I like it, man. Open up the wing of cheaters. Yeah. And put Barry Bond's face right on the front right of the building. There. David, Barry, you're the best, man. Appreciate it. All right, Thanks, what's David. your answer, by the way? We uh, locked on MLB, did a question today. Down one. Down one, two outs, Bob of the Ninth. Who do you want up? All time. Down one, bottom of the ninth. I mean, you got to go yards. Yards. You're going yards. I said I want Tony Gwynn or Rod Carew if I got a guy in second. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, your initial thought is just Mr. October there, but. uh, I'm going Barry Bonds. Like, I mean. What? Uh, How how about Kate Griffey? You just gave me a dismissive nope. Like, not a, like. Hmm, that's interesting. Just a no. Like a seriously? You just went there? I'm very how, how about Babe Ruth? I'll take Babe. I'll um, take Babe. No, I wouldn't want I'm trying to think I, I'm trying to remember clutch hits by Barry Bonds. Oh, they're plenty. By the way, if we're gonna make a hall of wing of Hall of Fame, then we have to have a whole wing of Hall of Fame of guys who never played against black players. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? If we're, we're going to go take all the cheaters, we better have a whole wing that says, like, well, you, we had the Negro Leagues. You didn't play the best players in the world yeah. on your way to your Hall of Fame career. Thank you, David. See ya. Appreciate it. David Locke right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.